everybody wants to rule the world. They're wrong about that. <clears throat> about what? Wanting to rule the world. You know, they're not because they're not talking about the world, you fuck. What they're talking about ah! is our own perceptions of our own little worlds that we want to conquer. Well, those are meaningless to all the people who are not us. <clears throat> Therefore irrelevant. Therefore why write a song? It makes no sense. Stop it. You stop it, <coughs> sir. <clears throat> sir, you stop it. You have to travel back in time to stop it. <clears throat> I was looking for something and I can't find it. What was that that I was... Not throbbing gristle. No, it has something to do with the... Um, the oh, I found it. Fuck you. I found it. <coughs> Fuck you. I said I found it. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm glad I could be helpful. Fuck you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Sir Rob from Ellsworth. Sir Robert from Ellsworth. <laughs> and we are coming to you from a shack in the country, which they say they will tear down in less than two weeks, but they won't tell us why. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they just, just a couple of guys said they were going to tear down the... Uh, the shack. Maybe Just a couple of guys came to us and said we're going to tear down your shack in a couple of weeks. How, how do you how do you respond to that? Really? If we were kids, we'd fight them. Not even when we were kids, we wouldn't fight them. With slingshots, perhaps? No, we were not the fighting types of people. <sighs> anyway, uh, before you turn to the gardening show, <laughs> <laughs> we have a show, Rob. Rob, this is one of the best shows we've ever done. You took, you took the steam out of my steam. Was I right? We have a show so good, Rob. Okay. That today, some people wouldn't even call it a show, but a spectacle. No. <laughs> but a spe- spectacle. That's I ruined that. I ruined that line. But it's going to be a spectacle. A grandiose spectacle. Or some would call it just another episode. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think most would. Uh, well, uh, we'll classify it as just another episode, but in our hearts, it's the best episode ever. You know, uh, I'm sorry to make you cry. Rob is hurting today because uh, he took something in the eye, squirt, squirt, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> it stings. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he got hurt at work. Uh, we'll talk about that later uh, when we ask how Rob's week was. Uh, yes. Or as I call it, Gary gets to drink some water. <laughs> segment. <laughs> yeah, that segment's not about you, the listener, nor is it about me, the speaker. <laughs> it's about me having a break. So uh, we are in the middle of our theme on all women rock bands of the 1970s. Now, we're talking about women rock bands, of course, as playing the instruments, not just singing and yeah. all that stuff. I know that the girl groups don't count. The girl groups don't count from the 60s. Yeah, like the Crystals yeah. and uh, the Ronettes and blah, blah, blah. As much as they were groups, they didn't uh, make their own music. I think I said that. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I did say that. Yeah. I think you did. I, I know I did. 
So uh, you just repeated what I had said, but in a different uh, language. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I transposed it to a different key. The key of silly. <laughs> so uh, we put the spotlight uh, of the uh, first all-woman rock band to get signed and release an album on a major record label, which is the group Fanny and their 1972 album Fanny Hill. Uh, which was uh, one of those risky novels which uh, you only hear about never read because... Uh, it's from a century which is not the one we were born in. Yes. So I hear it's very risky. Even in the 60s and early 70s, they were... Uh, they were banning it. They were banning it. So that must have been pretty risky, as they say. Oh, it can't be talked about even in this day and age? They must have been having a lot of intermarital uh, relations or right. outer marital whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, Rob. Why did you get me on that subject? Because <laughs> I felt it was important for the theme we were discussing tonight. Now, when uh, watching uh, the documentary film on Fanny called The Right to Rock, which was released about a year and a half to two years ago, uh, and which I saw for the first time, this past week as part of my I, I I had it ready to watch for about a year. I had I had it on my to watch list on my TV and I was thinking, okay, well I'll watch it. This is how far along you gotta I've been you. wanting to do this theme <laughs> is that I've actually had it on my my to watch list on my TV for a whole year. So actually I wanted to do this segment for like a year, but it always got pushed back. So I finally got to watch it this past week uh, in, in doing my uh, background uh, work, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they said on the documentary, we're going to talk about the documentary. Uh, well, we'll talk about everything, Fanny, in later on in the show. But I wanted to point out something interesting, that in England, Fanny does not mean the behind or buttocks or bum. No, oh, it does here. You can fall on your fanny. No. Not there? It means, in, in, in North America it does, yeah. but it means, in, in England, the front part of that area. Oh. The, uh, can we say this on the air? I guess we can say anything. No. The vulva is, it's slang for the vulva. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, a car manufacturing. Uh, no, not a Volvo. <laughs> it's part of the women's anatomy, which includes the vulva. And it rhymes with a, a lady's body part. And that's... No, it doesn't rhyme with a lady. It is a lady's body. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, anyways, it's in the front. It's, 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 it's what we would call the kitty cat area. Mulva. Uh, anyways... Uh, and I was going to get our English listeners to uh, confirm that, but I actually looked it up last night, and it does. It's British slang. It's called, actually, what is it? Crude. It's actually what it says on the internet. Crude slang. Not regular slang. For the kitty cat or the vulva. Okay. Uh, that was only like five seconds of the documentary that we made into like three minutes of this show. I thought it was interesting because I did not know that. No, I didn't know that. I just learned it. Yeah. And I didn't pay for it. You disowned it. Is that what you said? 
I disowned it. You disowned what I just said. <laughs> Holy smokes! Also, want to say that the, the this is this actually was. It may not be fascinating to anybody else, but it is to me. Uh, being Canadian and everything is that the documentary on Fanny, an American band, was directed by a Canadian and funded by the Canadian film industry. Which is very strange because the movie, of course, is about an American band and the Canadian film industry doesn't even like to give money for movies about Canadian people, <laughs> let alone a movie about Americans. I mean, that's really strange. If you were Canadian, you would understand that because the Canadian film industry doesn't give money for anything. They it's probably, like, I don't even know why they're there because they never give money for anything. They probably hit the end of the fiscal year and had to get rid of some money to get Maybe. the budget. Yeah. I, find it, I found it very strange, though. And I think you do, too, if you would admit to Yeah, it. well, no. I find it perfectly normal <laughs> for that particular it's just uh, me. branch of government. Anyway, we'll be talking more about Fanny and all that stuff later in the show. But speaking of very strange... Uh, Rob, how was your week? My week was pretty good, except for a slight collision with a piece of particle board, which I had uh, cut in half at work, or thought I'd cut in half. And as I was attempting to bend it, it broke and uh, caught me in the eye. And I said, ah, dear God in heaven above, what's going on here? So you were trying to bend it. I was trying to bend it. <laughs> I cut a groove in it. thinking while you were trying to bend it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the amount of force you the, the amount of force I was using was perhaps a bit too much. I should have known, like, okay, it's, it's clearly not bending, but I'm going to make this bastard bend. And, uh, and uh, snap, pow. I think we're talking about two different things here. D- down, down I went. So down you went because you tried to bend it. Yeah. It when it shouldn't have been bent. Shouldn't have been bent. Wasn't meant to be bent. <laughs> I guess that's what I was trying to say. It wasn't meant to be bent. So you were pretty excited at work at that time, I would assume. Uh, you know, after the incident, I really... Uh... You could bend it after the incident. Yeah, and I was just kind of on the floor going... Oh, man, we got to get off this subject. Ow. I could talk about this for an hour, <laughs> and the jokes would be flowing. But anyways, it actually did happen. Rob got injured trying to bend it at work, and he got got it right in the eye. I'm, <laughs> I'm crying a bit tonight, and uh, I may occasionally, actually. inadvertently, from time to time, go, ow, if I do something. Well, it's not crying. It's secreting water is what it's doing. Yeah, there's no actual cry. There's no emotion involved. <laughs> Like the other times you've cried on the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we're going off the rails so quickly. I cry for money, I cry for love. Today, we will be discussing another year in our series of greatest years in rock and roll history. In past episodes, we have. <laughs> Please Sorry. continue. Please Rob's continue. Look at you with one eye, and it makes me laugh. <laughs> Don't look at me. Okay, in Rock and Roll Call me old Squiddy. <laughs> in past episodes, we have talked about the revolutionary years of 1956, 1964, and 1977. Wow. And today, we talk about the year 1981. Now, Rob. Rob. <laughs> why was 1981 one of the five most important years in rock and roll history? Because a spaceman landed on the moon and he planted a flag that said, Mithuf. Mithuf, you are sorry. You are are 100% correct. 
Um, that was my that was our meal before we came up. Uh, we didn't yes. we didn't have a cable back then. Did we? Uh, not that kind of cable. Not that kind of cable. <laughs> Anyways, August first, nineteen eighty one. Just like Rob said, the man on the moon put his flag on that said MIDF MTV. And uh, literally, not overnight, because it it took a while. It took a couple of years, but uh, it changed the whole way that we thought of music. It uh, it uh, it changed the way it was packaged. That's it changed the way it was packaged. It 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 it, it also, I feel, brought in. Um, the music video we're talking about, of course, and having a twenty having a twenty four hour uh, music video station had to sound absolutely nuts at that time. Twenty four hours of music videos—that's stupid. Yeah, that's like a TV radio. It's like a TV radio. It is, and there weren't a heck of a lot of videos or promotional films at that time. So when MTV started. Uh, they were taking which was the cool thing about when MTV started because they would have a bunch of really obscure videos and they would uh, program them and all the time until people started making videos on a regular basis which you know almost every artist then started making two or three videos for each album they made but at the beginning it was like you know um, they were exposing a lot of stuff that wouldn't have been played which kind of makes it interesting but the, the roller effect of this is that it really was coming right out of uh, seven months or no, not seven months, nine months earlier. We just had John Lennon assassinated. You could feel the 1980s were changing. You could you definitely felt that the 1980s, almost right from the beginning, were not the 70s. They were not the 70s. Production changed almost immediately on records. As soon as it said, as soon as the clock hit midnight on uh, January first, nineteen eighty, it seemed like, oh, we got to make everything sound shitty. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it's kind of like uh, in the old days where uh, the bands would go along for a bunch of albums and uh, develop. Uh, now that uh, that uh, tended to happen less. Uh, well, this this is a good you point by produce Rob. Produce or you're out of here. This is a good <clears throat> point by Rob, and also you were now being judged on how you looked. Yes, because you were being. Uh, judged by your videos. Appearances were suddenly yes. now more important than they were. Yes, very important. It changed everything, to be honest with you. And that's why even Rob said 1981. And I said 1981 is really the beginning of the what we do now with music. 1981 was the beginning of two things. It was the beginning of how we listen to music now, which is... Uh, Almost, it was 1980 was the beginning of the phasing out of rock and roll. It really was. Even though it was a rock and roll station, started out as MTV, it, it, it uh, devolved, as I will say, by the late 80s, early 90s, and especially in the late 90s, before the millennium, into a pop thing. It seemed like the, the crowd wanted more pop videos because they were more accessible on MTV and in Canada with much music and in uh, England with whatever the hell you listen to in England. 
you got to have something. We don't know what it is. Can't be that important. <laughs> I think I think it was MTV UK. I'm not sure. Uh, if you want, if you want to write something angry to me, uh, please do. I can't, I can't do yeah. uh, research on everything. Try to be angry and informative. Yeah. I, I think what they had, not to get, not to get too involved, with this. I think they had in 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 England uh, and in other parts of Europe uh, the same thing, except they had their own DJs, which I'm pretty sure they did. VJs, I should say. Absolutely. That would VJs. make sense. Now this, uh, what this did is that. I had a second point, which was what MTV did more than anything and what music or rock music had been trying to do for probably the previous 15 years was to bring it into the culture of everything. And that's why MTV is in in another uh, area was so important. And I didn't like MTV at the beginning. I didn't like the idea of music videos. And I know everybody that was very serious about music was always oh, yeah. going, we don't want to have an image it was not. brought to us of what we think of the song in our head. And there was a point about that, but soon it became that the image that we got, like let's say from a, a Duran Duran song like uh, Hungry Like the Wolf, uh, all of a sudden that became that image that you had for that song became sentimental to you because you remember when you first saw yeah, it. And it became and then a yes, common image as well that other image. people that... Uh... Right. So not only when you listen to... I found out that when you listen to the record or CD as it became, uh, you could put your own... It, it didn't take away... You could either use the MTV image in your head when you actually listen just sonically to the music or you could or you could listen to the... You know, either the MTV version... Of the video, or you could listen to your own. Uh, you had your choice. The album it wasn't that. just oh, I'm just thinking of the video, which I initially thought it would be, but you could actually think of both. I can I can hear a song. One of the best videos ever was uh, Aha's "Take on Me," which is oh, with the uh, drawings. The uh, yeah, yeah, it is still one of the greatest videos ever, and the song is actually really good. I know Aha is big. For all our listeners in Europe, you all know that AHA is actually really big in Europe. It, it, it really, we only had the one hit here in North America and then, and then AHA kind of died. But I know that AHA is really big in Europe and that song is actually a classic song. But that video, I remember the day I saw that video and I thought that's fucking brilliant. But I could still think of that song when I listened to it on the radio in either way, I could. St- and, I, and I guess that's what what you call like not giving enough um, due to the to the listener. When I would say, it, and a lot of people said, "Oh, but you're taking away their oh, yeah. their image." Of, actually, people can think of different images at the same time, and they can think of the MTV video, or they can think of their, what they want "Take on Me" to sound like when they're listening to it. I can. Um, so MTV. In a in a extreme slump too. I actually went away from what I was talking about, but I'll get back to that in a second uh, about how it permeated uh, the media. But uh, what MTV did was it not only pumped adrenaline into like a very dying kind of like I don't know if it's dying, but it was it was not well kind of uh, product in the early eighties. It was. 
It was getting the idea the corporate rock bands were coming out in force and uh, people were getting cynical because of that. Records weren't selling as much. Rock was getting divisive. Uh, the different schools yeah. were going off in different directions and. And MTV kind of said, "Hey, we'll play, uh, we'll play anything but black music," <laughs> which we'll get to in a bit. We'll play anything as long as it's not black music. And um, but it, it just it 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 was really the same as the Beatles landing in '64, like we talked about. It was like it was like Elvis coming out and introducing rock and roll in '56. I equated this just as big because it energized the whole industry. It pumped money in there. And the biggest thing it did, it made popular music and rock and roll, like we know it today, part of everybody's lives. In everything. In commercials. Yeah. Even more than the 70s. We had tried desperately, the rock and roll people, from the mid-60s to 1981, to try and get those old people out who were programming the the commercials and stuff to put rock, even though rock and roll was number one, the, the it wasn't permeating the society like we wanted it to. They they were just still giving it to the kids. Now MTV came, and that was huge. Now everybody in their homes could turn it on and listen and watch MTV while they're working or everything. And now we have people who recite every words of every song from the 80s. And because yeah. of those videos, it was that huge. It was people, of course, MTV never knew it was going to be that big. But it made rock music and most definitely popular music. It, it made it part of every home's culture. And even in my home and homes like that where my father hated rock and roll had to acknowledge now that there was that everything revolved around it as far as music was concerned. And that that was that was big. Now everything else was second class. It was officially second class now to rock and pop music. And that yeah. was huge and that is the sole domain of MTV if there was no MTV and there was no uh, videos I don't know what would have happened it would have been very stagnant It, I know that but I really don't know what would have happened Rob do you do you have a prediction of how music would have went if there was no MTV and no no real videos to I think to it would have gone audience? back to before the days of rock and roll oh Frank Sinatra yeah, yeah. but uh Oh, I was going to say something there. But no, uh, some of the other changes it did, uh, they, you started to see a lot more music to rock music in soundtracks to both t television and yes, movies that's what I'm after talking that. About. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, it was everything had to have rock and roll music in it. Uh, back to the future. Yeah, had to have a, had to have human. It wasn't just song. now acceptable. Every, it was yes. kind of like it was replacing. It, yes, for the most part. that's my point. Thank you, Rob. No, really, I, I thank you because that's what I'm trying to say. We were trying to get that stuff done in the '70s, but the older generation wouldn't go for it. They were still yeah. saying, "Oh no, no." You could maybe get an independent movie that would have yes. a rock soundtrack or experimental uh, movie. But now it was almost everything, even. The music heading out of uh, sports shows like football, yep. and hockey, and baseball, just before they went to commercial, would have rock music on it. Everything permeated, 
And it all permeated because now music was brought into the homes on a 24-hour basis. You could see it and you almost lived it. It was almost, if there wasn't a telephone, if there wasn't a television show on, you watched MTV because it was, you didn't have to think too hard. Yeah, it was nice in the background. You grew the new rotation and uh, the DJs were, the DJs were kind of nice. Yes, and the VJs were very nice sometimes. (laughs) Martha Quinn, uh... I still love you. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the, the magnitudes, people don't talk about it much, but everything that happened afterwards really was because of the power of TV and videos. And that's why, as I said earlier, pop music started to overtake rock music because pop music uh, with the young kids that came along like Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys and stuff like that started to be more accessible and not so uh, heavy with the public. And I'm telling you, if the public can get something light and fluffy, and I'm not putting down the music, I'm just saying pop music is like that. It can present something really cheerful and it can bring and it can... It can make your day much better. You don't have to think about it much. And that's why when the millennium started and all this music in the late 90s happened and got on MTV, by the by the millennium, it was pop music and rock was now second. And it would yeah. probably always will be second unless there comes a, a, <laughs> a, a, a like we've talked about, another coming a, a age of a band to, to change things around. But it was MTV that did that. It was videos that did that. It was videos that said... Um, this is a little bit friendlier. This is not so complicated as far as your visuals. There's a lot of people dancing. People like that. I, 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 I have nothing against that. You know, if that's the way it, it turns out, um, that's kind of what people want. It's, it's not what I wanted to happen. Obviously, I predicted this in like 98. I said to Rob, and I remember I saw Britney Spears on the cover. Of Rolling Stone in '98, and I was taking Rob someplace, and I said, "Rob, I don't, I don't know. I think we're going to become dinosaurs." <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I did. I remember saying to him, "I was taking him to some gig or practice," and I just remember thinking that I could feel, I could actually feel the change. Sometimes you don't know the change happens until years after, but I felt that at '98 that we were, we were losing the battle because we were, we were losing a battle we couldn't win, and that was against. TV and and TV is always going to win if you can if you can promote uh, something that is light and airy on TV rather than something that is smart and thought provoking people are going to choose light and airy all the time and uh, that's what happened and so the, for the last twenty three years or so uh, pop music has reigned like it has and like I said it it, it will until you know, things do change and things come around. Uh, maybe jazz will yeah, be the next thing. Be another, <laughs> another generation will come up with something new and the older generation will... Uh, That's right. Know. That's right. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss type of thing. It never stays the same. Uh, so that, that really, that and that alone was really why 1981 was one of the most revolutionary years uh, in, in music because MTV alone... Uh, changed music just as much as the Beatles in 64 and the British Invasion and uh, Elvis in 56 and the punk movement in 77 and disco in 77, the the previous years we've done on here. 
And what we're going to do uh, in 1992 when we do our last year, which is the, the grunge movement in Nirvana, all these revolutionary movements all revolved around more than one thing. MTV really was because of MTV. MTV. It really was MTV. That's it. Videos, the introduction of videos also changed things from the band perspective because uh, bands before that have mostly just thought about uh, you do the album, maybe you think about the artwork on the album, and now you're thinking about, okay, a video associated with the... Uh, and and the, the, only, the older the only, groups didn't oh, yeah. think like that for Actually, a while. Rob, the only, the only bands that really did promotional films as they were called before videos and then they were, were videos were were the big bands like uh the who and, and the, the beatles and the stones and and would do the because they didn't want to go to the tv stations and that's what you had to do a lot of the just time. send the promotional video you would just send the promotional video and uh and a lot of people uh, so if you had a lot of money behind you from a record company they would say make a video and we'll put it to the shows uh you know that that show videos, and they would show like one or two videos uh, a show. Even in the disco era, they would you know uh, sometimes you know Dick Clark even might show a video on American Bandstand uh, very rarely, but sometimes he did, and that's really in the in the late seventies. So um, now anybody could do it. Now you could have like five hundred dollars. I mean that's pretty skimpy, but I don't know how yeah. how much a budget. I know, I know it came in to be millions. I know Thriller became like millions of dollars or whatever. But uh, you didn't have a, have a lot of money. And you didn't even have to have much of a thing. It was like, well, you can just stand there and play. It only had to be plugged in because it's recorded. I remember the Stones video, like Start Me Up and stuff like that in 81. Where they would just stand around and goof around. And they, they're, they'd be pretending oh, yeah, they were yeah, playing, but they wouldn't even be plugged in. Waiting on a friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that had a little bit of a concept. I like that one because it had a concept. A little bit of a concept, but mostly just them having But fun. mostly just kind of like goofing <laughs> around. Uh, I do like that video. But the other ones like Start Me Up and uh, She's So Cold, I remember. It was always just the band just kind of playing. <laughs> but they weren't playing because they weren't plugged in. And it was kind of funny. And it was just kind of a promotional thing. But then you had to take videos seriously. Then videos became concepts and everything, which is still cool. Uh, I had nothing against videos. When I actually was dead set against them until it came into my living room. And then I said, this is kind of cool because this is spreading anything that can spread the message of rock and roll or, you know, of the music we listen to, then I'm all for it. And, uh, and then I realized that it, doesn't, it didn't take your complete thoughts away from what the song was. You could still have your own thoughts if you wanted to. Uh, it's just that now you had a second thought about, oh, that's how the video represents the song. But that yeah. didn't make it the, the only thing. That didn't define the song for me. No. So For me, that was just usually an introduction to seeing the band. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And there were some, uh, there were some cool video, uh, promotional videos by uh, Rush before... Uh, MTV. They did things like uh, I'm just I just brought that out of the air. I'm I'm just trying to think of videos like before the like in the late 70s before MTV. And there was bands like Rush who did like uh, uh, Closer to the Heart and stuff like that, which were really cool uh, things like that. Some bands wanted to do that because they knew that uh, some stations would play it. I remember coming home. No. 
grade 11 and grade 12 and maybe even grade 10 coming home and at not at a 3:30 they had a they had a every time and this was of course planned for all the kids who were coming home from high school or junior high that as soon as they came home oh there's a video show on for half an hour and I remember coming home every time and relaxing from school and there'd be like the Eurythmics on and Huey Lewis of the News, like 1983, I think, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And um, didn't think about it, but even then it was it was like, oh, you know, when 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 you're not when you're just relaxing in front of the TV, first thing you think of is to put on a music video station. And that's that's the impact that it had. You know, I just want to relax from school, let's put on a video station. And then you start to you start to listen to, and you know what it does? You start to listen to songs you normally wouldn't listen to, like Huey Lewis in the News, and you start to like it. You may not like Huey Lewis in the News, but all of a sudden you are because, oh, I want a new drug. is a pretty cool video and stuff like that. And the Eurythmics, who I initially was against. Bands that have won me over with the video. Yes. Eurythmics were, were a band like that. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. And I didn't like it because yeah. I was dead set against all of the synthesizers and music wave, coming in. Yeah. It was all coming at the same time with Soft Cell and Tainted Love and all that. And I was thinking, this is killing music. I saw the video and I said, oh, I understand. And then I saw, I remember, Here Comes the Rain Again by the Rhythmics. And I'm saying, this is a brilliant use of, of keyboards. And it changed my whole perception of... Um, synthesizers and music that it could actually be just as emotional as uh guitars if used properly and smartly and so i was it also presented to a lot of people a chance to listen to music that if they heard on the radio they might turn off but now they couldn't because it's on there but initially i think for quite a few years there was just uh, mtv before uh, i think vh1 started came out that's right and vh1 vh1 was very important also because mtv was uh and we're not going to get into the black thing it was a lot of new music and music for the kids Uh, mtv did start playing black videos when billy jean came out but i'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other subject but vh1 was very important because vh1 presented music for adults so now you got the whole field covered. You got MTV for the young kids and the older kids, like the people in their twenties. And now you had VH1 for the classic artists and for the people like late twenties to forties and on. And so you got the whole field covered. You had MTV and you had VH1. You almost didn't need anything else, although there became CMT, Country Music Television, yep, yep. which was huge, and that made country music alone become a, a huge commodity than it ever was before. That's right. That's when the, when the country started to, work to get big in, in the cities. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That is true in the cities. It wasn't just uh, a rural type of uh, music anymore. Uh, the, videos, the videos drew in a lot of people that normally wouldn't uh, listen to country music say I like country music but I would never put the station on now I am going to put the station on in the in the car flicking through yeah I uh, hear that song that very I like good and... point Rob and that uh, again uh, VH1 which played uh, the country music along with CMT playing the country music <laughs> I mean Suddenly, I'm yeah, saying this stuff yeah. over and over again but the impact you get in the variety of mi- radio stations at that point you know, for the first five or ten years when it was just uh, MTV, that was the one thing that uh, everyone watched. It was kind of a unifying 
We all saw the same videos, That's saw right. the same shows. Yeah, I remember I kind of tuned out to those when they uh, started playing a whole lot less music. And uh, well, yeah, now now there's. Uh, it's funny how you always thought at that time it was so huge that music videos would would last would, forever. Would last forever, <laughs> but somehow. Maybe the bands became less interesting and the viewers stopped. I don't know, but MTV started MTV started, and everyone followed by not having any more music on there. And so music videos are now a luxury. They're, they're still being made, but now they're, you, you see it on uh, your streaming platform. They've gone back to being promotional. Promotional items yeah, for the big artists. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the impact that, that videos made for the time when they ruled kind of like everything uh, cannot be underestimated as that is the reason we listen to music today. The, or the way we listen to it as far as the types of music. Um, yeah, it was a game changer, big time. More than I ever thought it would be. Remember when it happened? And I just thought, wow, so they play videos on TV, big deal. <laughs> oh my God, like two years later, yeah. all of a sudden, like I said, as soon as the first thing I did when I came home was... Put on that station, just listen to the new, the, mu- the music that was was. Yep, I watched it listening. I maybe only liked one in five songs, but I still watched it. That's right. <laughs> that's the point I'm making. I'm not a big fan of Huey Lewis at all, but I'm kind of thinking that's not a bad song, and I kind of like how his everyday image, and it's like that's pretty cool. And then you start watching it every day, and it gets to you. I still wouldn't say I want a new drug. I see. I would not turn. I want a new drug off on the radio if I heard it because of that. I might if I just heard it without the visuals and just once in a while. It's interesting how how just it does change the huge it was. It, it really did change our whole concept. It it made popular music in general. What's the word? It made it an everyday in every single house type of thing. It's used for yeah. movies. It's used for trailers for movies. It's used for TV shows. It's used for TV shows to exclamate a point. Rock music, uh, pop music. It's used in everything, which is what we wanted a long time before that. But we we kept trying. We kept on thinking, why? We're appearing on all the shows. We were appearing on Sunny and Cher. <laughs> How come it's not? Because it's not in there 24 hours a day. And what a brilliant idea. And uh, now it, it has done what we always wanted it to do. We have taken over. We've taken over commercials. Rock and roll has taken over all this stuff in popular music. Yeah, people are forgetting about the old musics. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, man, I talked about that for way too long. <laughs> we got carried away. Because I got a lot to talk about with Fanny here. And uh, Me too. Today we are reviewing the nice seg- segue, eh? We don't have good segues good now. Enough. Now that we're trying to cut <laughs> things off from there. the show, there's not really good segues anymore. Today, we are reviewing the 1972 album Fanny Hill by the all-women band Fanny. I didn't mean to say it like that. Fanny. <laughs> I'm sure the audience is used to it by now. They've heard the email. <laughs> Six years before the Runaways released their first album, Fanny had released their first album in 1970. So there was like very few. There there were bands that were all women in the 60s, but they were, um, that played their instruments, 
But they, they only released a couple singles, and everybody thought it was just goofy. Yeah, they were novelty. They were novelty-type stuff. This is the first serious band that actually released albums. And then you'd have to wait another six years until another band came by, which was the Runaways, who became much more popular. Fanny, I have to tell you, before I get into the whole thing about uh, the biographical aspects of Fanny, I have to tell you, I know about... In all honesty, I'm not I'm not gloating. I know about almost every band in the first three decades of music. And I don't think that I heard about Fanny until maybe the 90s at the best. You know what that what makes it really peculiar is that this album was recorded at uh, Apple Studios there. So I figured I would have heard something about it in the, the list of bands that recorded there. I have didn't. You, uh, have you see it's really strange for me to hear about a 70s band in the 90s it, I mean it's really weird because I had a book that had every band in it I had a which I'm still trying to find because it's, <laughs> it's buried it's in, in my, the boxes in the boxes and I keep swearing I'm gonna bring it but I, I just can't it's it, it would taught me everything about rock and roll music Fanny I, I, I don't know if it was in it I would remember it I think but it had every band in there or it seemed to. And I learned all about all these bands just by not having to listen to some of the bands. I still haven't heard their music, but I remember every band from reading about their little capsule reviews for, a, a, you know, a page or half a page or whatever. Um, so it was it's very strange for me to go uh, from the late 70s to maybe the mid 90s, maybe even the late 90s and never have really heard of Fanny. Do you remember hearing about them? This is how obscure they were. Do you remember? No. What? Do you, you never? No. First nothing. I've heard of them. No. Uh, really? That's yes, interesting. It's quite literally the first I've heard of them. Wow. Uh, actually, I'm not surprised because if uh, if there hadn't been a revival in the early 2000s, I, I don't think I would know about them until we did this show, to be honest with you. That's pretty sad because they were a revolutionary band by having all women play instruments. And that's something I want to talk about. Um, when I see the documentary and I see them perform, it doesn't seem weird, right? It's just like, okay, it's not a band. You can't go back there and look at it from the eyes of seeing a woman play the bass guitar, a woman play the guitar in like 1971 or 72, which must have been really strange because they brought that up in the movie. And, uh, and I was thinking, you know, yeah, like you can't, we can talk about it, but we don't know what it's really like. I do remember what it was like when the Runaways started and these girls were playing instruments. And I thought that's kind of a, a novelty. And I'm not putting women down. No. But it's just that if you don't thing. have seen it before, it looks weird. Yep. And that's what the Runaways did for me. Oh, they're playing their music. Oh, this must be a gimmick, which it wasn't. The Runaways were a great band. Fanny got the same thing. And at our point of view, listening to this music in 2023, it's like, well, what's so funny about that? But we're not in 1971. And I'm not in 1977 when I was listening uh, to the Runaways. So I remember listening you know, to the Runaways. You hardly even heard of too many girl musicians, uh, maybe outside of maybe keyboard players. Right. Back then. So we're attacking this or judging Fanny 
with a completely open mind because we don't have the kind of closed minds of, oh my God, uh, a woman bass player? That looks funny. That looks, that's wrong. Looking at it today, in our point of view, it's like, it's like, yeah, so what's the big deal? But that's, that's the point of the accomplishments that have made by women. Of course, women can play music, but it was just so, it's just like if you saw, and I, I don't mean anything by this, but if you saw a monkey playing a ukulele, you'd say, what the hell is a monkey playing a ukulele for? Yes. That's it's, funny. It's something you'd never seen before. Right. Quite literally. So anything that's different always makes you kind of like not like it in a way because it's different right yeah i'm always suspicious i think you're always gimmick. suspicious it's a gimmick <laughs> if you haven't seen it before yeah. right oh i can play the guitar while i'm on the high wire on a, in a circus well that's just a gimmick no but i'm a really good guitar player <laughs> that was what it was like hendrix would uh, play like uh, with his on his shoulders uh... so we're just reviewing this or talking about fanny as an everyday band which i think they always wanted to be Every band just wants to be thought of as a rock band and not an all-women band. And that's the way we look at them because that's the way the times have changed. And that's good, but it also doesn't give us the perspective we would have of like they would have of, 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 of 1971, 72, 73 when it just didn't happen. You know what I mean? We talked about it anyways. So the, the, the band is uh, really centers around... Uh, June, the sisters June and Jean Millington, who came from the Philippines. Their mother was Philippine, Filipino, and their father was uh, in the army. Uh, so it was mixed marriage. They met American in the Philippines while he was yep. serving his time in the uh, in the armed services, and then they moved from the Philippines uh, to Sacramento, California. And the girls were always, June and uh, Jean Millington were always very into everything. They started with ukuleles, and then they, they even started an all-female band called the Schveltz. Can you say that, Rob? Nope. The Schveltz. <laughs> Not even <laughs> Not With even June try. on guitar, and of course, Jean on bass. <laughs> and then, um, eventually, the, the uh, Schveltz got uh, a, a drummer called Alice de Bure, and they formed a... Another all, all well, there was another female band called Wild Honey, and those two kind of incorporated each other, and they became. Well, this is interesting because they were spotted at the gig at a gig at the Troubadour Club in 1969 by legendary producer Richard Perry. Richard Perry is known for lots of good records, lots of bad records. Uh, Barbara Streisand, the great Harry Nielsen. Ringo Starr's album Ringo, which is a classic album. All, all these, all these kind of polished records that that came out in the seventies was Richard Perry. He was, he was one of the producers you wanted to be with. He, uh, he was actually searching for an all-female rock band to mentor, and he actually found them when he went to the Jupiter Club in Los Angeles. Don't even know if they were playing under the name. I don't know what name they were playing. Not, not even the documentary was very specific about that because they made up their name later. And uh, they were just wanted to, they wanted to have some sort of women, woman's name for some reason. So they threw around names. Somebody said Fanny and somebody said, that's great. And then somebody said, oh, but it's going to get equated with your, like your bum, <laughs> right? And they said, I don't care how it's interpreted. It, we know what it means. It means a, a woman's name, Fanny, which is good. Uh, so uh, Richard Perry signed them to Warner Brothers Records. 
actually still known as Wild Honey, and then they changed their name to Fanny. So there you go. And uh, why does it say Reprise Records? Convinced Warner Brothers Records to sign a band to Reprise Records. Ah, I don't understand that. They actually did. Them. They actually did record on Reprise Records, which was Frank Sinatra's label. Frank Sinatra formed Reprise Records. If people don't know that. Was that uh, Neil Young was on? That? And Neil Young was. Okay. Uh, this is when Reprise Records was really <laughs> trying to sign rock and roll acts because it became it had become known as a you know a Frank Sinatra type of record label because it was meant just for him and then all of a sudden you know they said we got to expand a little bit and his swinging buddies and his swinging buddies and um, that's basically and also they had uh, their ace in the hole was an excellent uh, keyboard player called Nicky Barkley. Uh, that was kind of like they not only had a great guitar player in June Millington, but they also had a, a great uh, piano player in Nicky Barkley, who had uh, problems with uh, being a civil human being. <laughs> I don't know how you say it. She just she just had you know people that are difficult. It's just difficult human being basically. Um, and I can't go I can't go much into that because then I'd be talking about this for a long time about the band but um so you got the you got the girls they sign they record their first album it doesn't do anything they record their second album called crystal oh not crystal ball is it called crystal ball rob do you remember that don't know (laughs) (laughs) i i asked rob because i know he doesn't know and that's kind of funny um yeah it's called something ball rob great balls of fire i i you know i big balls it's embarrassing because I'm supposed to know everything, <laughs> and I'm just. Uh, Is that one of the balls? You know who took the cover shot? Well, I'm trying to uh, took cover shot for that album was Candice Bergen took the cover shot for that album, which is called. Oh, this is so embarrassing! Everybody knows out there listening. I bet you. And gardening uh, channel, here we come. Charity ball. Charity ball. Damn it. Uh, I knew that and I just couldn't think of the word. I got ball though. Ball is good. Ball. I got ball. And then they released this album we were uh, doing, which is um, Fanny Hill, which was recorded, as Rob said, in Apple Studios, not Abbey Road Studios. The Beatles own Apple Studios, which is the studio that they recorded Let It Be in. When you see the movie or the, the Get Backs, uh, eight-hour movie, you you see them uh, in Apple Studios, which is really cool. They had Jeff Emmerich as their engineer, who, who engineered all the late Beatles stuff from 66 to, to the time they broke up. Uh, Philip McDonald also did all the Beatles solo stuff as engineer, worked on the album, and um, pretty... They always had pretty hefty company, like they had Richard Perry producing them. Uh, after this album, they did another album that Todd Rundgren produced. They always had good people around them, but nobody bought their records. And um, then they had uh, somebody else produce their last record. Anyways, I just want to talk before we get into the album. Uh the movie, which I think people should watch. I thought it was a good movie. I didn't think it was a great movie. As I said, it's called Fanny, The Right to Rock. I thought uh, it it was really fascinating when it talked about the uh, 
for about a little bit more than half the movie about the old you know, film clips and and stories from when Fanny was originally around from 1970 to 75. And then the other half is when they kind of got back together and it just took up way too much of the movie. And them recording an album, uh, they show them recording an album, getting back together uh, as a band. Not all of them back together, but but most of them. And uh, it was... It was, even though it was 98 minutes long, it felt like about 30 minutes too long. And another thing I had a beef about when I was watching it, even though I think it's a good movie, uh, is that it was kind of a puff piece and that there was not a lot of uh, dissenting voices about their music. It was all kind of like how Fanny is great, how I listened to Fanny and I love them from other musicians and uh, how they influenced me. And there wasn't... There wasn't a lot of negative talk about the band, which I think uh, is actually works against them when you're doing a documentary because it makes you think that you're, um, you know, not even the band. Hiding talk- something. They're hiding something. Yeah, what? it does. It makes you think you're hiding, especially when there was a lot of internal conflicts and they really just breezed over by that in like two sentences by saying, yeah, there was some conflicts. Well, there were some really drag out fights with the band, you know, some some really high tension that they would not get into, which I thought was wrong. I thought, uh, you know, how people who didn't like the band maybe uh, get their opinion. Most biographies of bands have double opinions. And this movie really didn't. This movie was very much a puff piece uh, about how great this band was and how they were ignored and how they shouldn't be. And uh, it still didn't, you know, even with those mistakes, uh, those glaring mistakes, it still was a very watchable movie. And it should be watched by everybody, especially girls, young girls who want to be musicians growing up and women who are starting bands. Um, It was a different time. (laughs) (laughs) And it was very hard on them. And, uh, you know... It was just a different time. It was very, it was, it was very interesting movie. I just had, I had some uh, things about it I didn't like. Is it okay that I say that, Rob? Damn you, movie. Rob, is it okay that I say that? Well, you're not as harsh as I would be. Had I seen the movie and not liked it. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's talk about the album. Um, yeah. So we start off, uh, First of all, I think they do a very good cover of Ain't That Peculiar. I really like that. I thought it'd be a lot more rocking out, but it was rocking. But I thought it would be more Runaways type music, and it was kind of like uh, more uh, pop rock. Uh, I guess I should have known that with Richard Perry producing. Uh, you see clips of them in the movie performing live, and they are really rocking. These chicks can rock. But um, I guess, from what I understand, their album's... We're always a little bit softened, a little bit. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Because there's some wicked guitar playing on this album. Oh, there is. I'm not saying it doesn't rock. I'm just saying I expect it to be more rocking. And even they say that the edges were, you know, slimmed a little bit so that it would be more compatible. And uh, no, uh, June Millington plays deadly guitar, especially when she plays slide. Holy fuck, does she play great slide guitar? And Nikki Barkley plays great piano and writes great songs. Um, 
I like some of the some of the song. Actually, you were supposed to review this first. You can do this next week. Yes, I I'm was. sorry, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I was prepared to let you go. You go ahead. You you can get next week. Okay. Um, I uh, I thought the I thought the vocals were weak. I thought you know what's strange is that all of them sing. Most of the songs are sung by uh, Nikki Barkley or June Millington, who plays guitar. Couple songs are sung by your sister Jean Millington, who plays bass, and only one song is sung by the drummer Alice uh, DeBure. So they all sing at least one song, which I liked. And um, sometimes a song will be sung and it's, it's it's good, and then another time that singer will sing another song, and it's not that good. As far as it's. It's it's okay, but it's it seems that it has to be in the exact right key or whatever, or else. In other words, the singing overall, they could have had a lead singer because I found that it was funny how I liked a certain singer on one song. I thought, oh, that's pretty good. It fits her voice, and then she like sings that. another song, and I feel like, wow, she's that's okay. Kind of weak on that. Yeah, yeah, I really felt that <laughs> on. Uh, on almost everything, Nikki Barkley really has a nice voice. As far as she's, she has a uh, really good kind of growl, a really good rock and roll voice. Uh, my favorite song on there was the first time, which is the last song on here, which uh, I thought was was brilliant from the beginning to almost the very end. It had one of those sudden endings, which which pisses me off because it had a great chorus and it was going it was going in a direction of fading out really cool and then Richie Perry decided just to go Beep. cut it cut it and I, I thought it was totally inappropriate and uh, it was too jarring for such a nice song to be doing something you do like on I want you she's so heavy because <laughs> it just oh, was yeah. building to that huge climax then you cut Ooh. it off it was that was brilliant this was done um, I actually uh, there's a couple songs I really liked on here. Sound and the Fury by June Millington. Was really Sound good. and the Fury is uh, the one I got the one of three that I marked off as uh, I really like these three songs. Yeah, Sound and the Fury was really good. It's I, a country song actually too. I kind of liked all the songs, but there were three that really stood out. Okay, okay, that's that's interesting. <laughs> um, I did like I said I like their I liked their version of Ain't That Peculiar, a Marvin Gaye song. Uh, they rearranged it a little bit, and I thought it would it worked really good. Uh, their version of the Beatles' "Hey Bulldog," which again, talking about this in 2023 is really strange because "Hey Bulldog" is now considered to be one of the Beatles' best tracks, probably one of their best 50 songs of all time. At that time, "Hey Bulldog" was an extremely obscure track. It was unknown. It isn't on like the... Uh, the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. The Yellow Submarine soundtrack, yeah. Which... Very obscure song and was not played on the radio. And you know, times have changed. The band I was in uh, decided to play it just because nobody had ever heard it. Right. And now, actually, it is considered... In fact, Rolling Stone put it at number something, 58 is... Their greatest songs, their one of their greatest songs of all songs. time, one of their favorite songs of all time, and it is now considered a Beatles classic at the time. Extremely, obscure. in fact, it was obscure for the next thirty years. Yeah, to be nobody honest knew with about you. it. Yeah, nobody knew, hardly anybody knew about this song. So, in in if I was listening, I would say, "Oh wow!" First of all, they picked that song. That's cool. I would have thought at the time. Secondly, oh wow, that's a pretty good arrangement. 
now that so many people have done it and it gets played a lot even on the radio now uh, I find it a just pretty pedestrian version of the song which is unfortunate it's just time that song hasn't changed it's just the perception of the song has changed. when I like the song this version didn't really grab me no exactly it didn't uh, send me away it just didn't grab me no, it's just it, it, it again. It wasn't bad, just like Rob said. It just didn't grab me either. It just it just was. They were, I think, relying on the uh, novelty of this song being so obscure that it, people would think it was kind of like their song. And great idea. Fifty years later, <laughs> that that doesn't work. That's not their fault. But. Um, what the other song? Like, oh yeah, you got a home. I really liked. I liked that one too. That was a number that two was a on my uh, really good song, wasn't it? That was sweet. It was, uh, and it only has. And normally, June, I don't like sweet, but the, this one was good. It was really good. It just had June Millington on guitar, acoustic guitar, and electric guitar, and her sister Jean on bass, and it was. It was just a really well written song, and she sang. That's funny. She sings this song really well, and yet. You could go two songs later, I think, oh, she didn't sing that song, <laughs> whatever, really well. Um, that's the problem with the, with the that I had with it. Um, I think this album is, and I, I think I'm going to differ with Rob on this, but I thought this album was better than average. But I, I think the hype was a little bit more than I... Uh, than what I got. I I, uh, I think this is a, a a pretty good band, a better than average band, but they're not the groundbreaking band that I've read a lot of things that I saw in a documentary, all these, you know, Def Leppard and all these people talking about Bonnie Raitt, about how magnificent they were. Um, I didn't get that a lot from the documentary, and I didn't get that a lot from this album, although there's some finely written songs on here. I feel that there's some weaknesses. Uh, by the way, one thing I always comment on for every album, because it's the most important part of any album for me, if Rob can guess that. The cover. No. Oh. Well, which is, which is actually. <laughs> no, it is, it is probably the second most. But uh, the drum sound, which is either drums sound like either they're not there or they sound incredibly shitty. Um, now, that may be a Richard Perry uh, production thing. I don't. It's not. I don't think it's the problem of Alice DeBure because she is known as as a great drummer. Uh, so I'm not blaming her, and it's hard to blame somebody you can hardly hear on an album. But uh, I have to admit the drum sound is pretty crappy on this album. Uh, it, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, it distracted you. It did. Well, I always hear the drum sound. I always, always am. It's one of the things I always try and hear every instrument, and luckily, after many years, I, it it happens automatically. Uh, I can unless it's not there, like you know, unless they really bury the bass or something that I can't hear it. Then we'll talk about it. We always do. Like I couldn't hear the bass on yeah, this record. This I think we're high. very this good. This was missing. I think we're yes, exactly. I think we are very good, and anybody who listens to music for 30, 40 years or whatever is very good at without even trying, picking out music, picking out the instruments. And I just noticed right away that uh, that the drums were given short shrift, and they uh, and when it was there, it, 
it was just sounded shitty and that really really bugs me it didn't hurt the music because it almost like the music didn't need uh drums like some like some bands do or some albums do but uh that's one thing i don't like june Mill uh, gene millington is a good bass player though uh you don't get to hear too much on this album but she is uh watching her in the video of the documentary she's a very good bass player uh yeah i'm kind of a little underwhelmed is what i'm trying to get at and uh rolling stone by the way and i read this maybe this is where i first heard of fanny maybe it, it could even be the 2000s about 2014 um rolling stone listed the 20 20 greatest albums from the 70s that we liked that nobody's ever heard this album was on it that's not why i picked this album i was actually just lucky i always get a i always look at an album by a band that i don't really know and go on intuition by looking at their album titles and, and just thinking what sticks out to me what what is telling me to listen to this and this was the album it turns out that this is one of the 20 albums that rolling stones said was one of the an album that they really liked in the 70s when they reviewed it but nobody listened to it um that could have actually been maybe i didn't even hear of fanny until 2014. <laughs> I just uh -huh. read the review. Didn't need to hear about him. So, um, yeah, I think with all the hype that I've been hearing about them since at least 2014, uh, I kind of expected it to be a little bit better. This is supposed to be their best album, by the way. The critical consensus is this is their best album. I'm not knocking it. It's a, it's a good album, but there are a lot of good albums in the 70s. And there are a lot of great albums in the 70s. So uh, I give it three stars. But I expected I expected more, to be honest with you. And I think I think actually this could have been a really good album. They would have had a singer. I expected less. <laughs> really? Interesting. I was surprised. I, uh, I did that. My preconceived notion of uh, any band involving uh, all women is, uh, you know, maybe seventy percent of them are gimmicky, and maybe thirty percent of them are serious. You're a sexist. You keep seeing the same thing over and over again. You, you make a metal note of it. <laughs> but I was surprised. The musicianship was good. Not great, but it was good. Uh, the guitars definitely stood out. Yeah. The guitar playing both we agree on and that. lead and we guitar. Agree. I think just... we agree on... Uh, I think I agree with you so far on everything. What you said about... What did you just say about the band? Like, they're good, tasteful. but they're don't, they don't sound... At least on yeah, this album, they're... they don't sound great. Except for, for June Millington on guitar. Um, no, good, but definitely... Uh, the... Not standout, yeah. No. Other than guitar, um, I kind of like the vocals on a lot of the songs. I think uh, the way they sang them made them work where they wouldn't have otherwise worked. Uh, that's where we disagree. Because that, that's, yes. where, that's yes. where we. I actually think that this could have been a better... Because I think a lot of these songs are good. But I think that, first of all, I think the production of about making them, I think making them soft, which which is taking the edge off them, hurt it. Hurt it. And secondly, I really do think if they had a lead singer, which they wanted, but they actually, oh, yeah. they actually were told by the record company and Richard Perry, if you have that girl as a lead, because they wanted them like a Beatles. She'll take over. They wanted the Beatles, four, four girls, like the Beatles had four guys. Yeah. So they actually told them, and this is their fault. Everything they that they it. were told by the record company, they got scared and did and did it. And they were told by Richard Perry and the record company, if you have that girl singer, uh, then we will not sign you. And they took their bluff. 
because they would have signed them. Again, we don't live in that time in 1970. Maybe musicians did believe the record. We know now with all the transactions that go on in the last 50 years of rock and roll that most of the time they're trying to bully the artist and to fool them into thinking that we are in charge. And they got, they got bullied into a lot of things because they didn't stand up for themselves. They should have had that lead singer who was actually a friend of the group. And uh, I think it hurts them. But your opinion is different. Other people, again, agree with you uh, that their voices kind of uh, have their own distinctive for the songs that they've written. Yeah. I mean, there's times when I start, they go into a line, I'm starting thinking, uh, this isn't going to work, it's going to be clunky. But uh, it does work for me somehow because um, uh, the way they put the time into the melody and the actual singing. Yeah, well, that's funny because I got that sometimes. And then I got like, oh... The next time the girl sings, same girl, it sounds clunky. Like it yes. doesn't sound in tune a little bit. Yeah, all. some of them sounded really good and some... Uh, clunky is the exact word I was thinking of at home. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the best songs was by the girl who doesn't sing, which is Alice DeBure, the drummer, uh, on her Rock Bottom Blues, I found was one of the best vocals on the whole album. And even she admits, I'm not a singer and I sang that terrible I disagree. I think she sang that song excellent. And I was, really like the lyrics in that song. And the lyrics well. are just like, well written song. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah, outstanding yeah. there. Um, the song Think About the Children, I was approaching that one on the uh, the list and I was thinking this is gonna be a preachy horror show. And it wasn't. It gave me a cosmic vibe. It it gave me a, a definite hippie cosmic uh Oh it, that's kind of what it was, yeah. Uh, Hippie cosmic song, yeah. I didn't. I didn't feel as strongly as you did about that song. I kind of, I kind of still got that hippie, but in a bad way. Think yeah. about the children holding hands. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, I don't know why. No, I, I didn't just get the co I didn't get the Coke commercial. Uh, oh, you did because I kind of did. Of it, I no. kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> I got the weird uh, Max. What's his I name? Did. Art. I did though, Rob. You got the like the real heart of the song. I got, I, kinda, I got the Beatles' I kinda, "Yellow Submarine" art. That's what I got for this. Yes, song. and I got I got did get the Pepsi commercial. I did. I really did. <laughs> I and that's my that's my fault. Let's all hold hands and sing, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if we're boys or girls or where we come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give me a call and go away. <laughs> Was there any up tunes that you liked, like Blind Alley? Or oh, Blind the Time? one I really liked that I don't think you liked at all was the final song on the first side, Borrowed Time. Oh, I thought it was the worst song on the album. I loved that song. I thought it was uh, really gritty, really accusatory. And I read the lyrics and I could not uh, pin them down to exactly what it's about. Yeah, well, I don't know why you said it was a good story then, because that was my problem with it. Not only did I feel... No, this- no, not a good story. I didn't understand a single thing in the lyrics. Yeah. I thought it was uh, really well written in that um, uh, the language, the uh, the euphemisms, the... Uh... No, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. The uh, It was all in English, but I could not that, pin down the what they were saying. The things that were said were great, except that it didn't actually come, amount to a story, is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Uh, it may have amounted to a story, but I I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't think that it was. Um, I like the lyrics actually. I agree with you. 
I just didn't think that it was, uh, it, it, it just sounded like it didn't have like a chorus that I liked. It's just, uh, that song really musically grabbed me. I just so thought it was dirty. We, and... Yeah. So, you know, we definitely disagree on that song. Okay. We definitely disagree on thinking about the children. Yeah. Rock Bottom Blues, we definitely, see the last, uh, the last, not the last three songs, but the two songs we really agree upon are The Sound and the Fury and Rock Bottom Blues, which is my two, actually, it ended up really good because Rock Bottom Blues, Sound and the Fury, and the first time really almost made me change my whole, just because it ended the album on such a strong note. The first time didn't stick with me that much. Really? No. You see, we really, we really, uh, this one's a different, uh... <laughs> we really uh, are disagree a lot on this album. Which is nice because people sometimes say we agree too much, but we're not we're not sinking on this album too much. Uh, what did you think of their cover of Ain't That Peculiar? I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right, but here's the weird part. Uh, when I first listened to the album, I thought that this was a song they had written. I had not heard it before. Mm -hmm. And the feelings I kind of got was, you know, uh, this gal, uh, she's with this guy. He's being a total jerk off, a total creep. And uh, what I felt was both sympathy and uh, an urge to, uh, you know, somehow help her. And then I find out the song's not written by them. It's written by... Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson. The song's written by a guy. Totally changed my perspective on it. It's like the sympathy is still there, but the urge to help him has gone away. <laughs> it's like no, uh, that can happen. That can happen it's when, like, you, uh, when you okay. change the sex around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this girl's uh, she's being bad to him, and all I'm thinking is, uh, you got to learn the same as all the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I thought that was peculiar that uh, that song changed uh, when I thought it was written by uh, uh, women as opposed to by men. I, I what I liked about that, and it may be just that one part. Was you know the original song goes uh, from the court from the verse to ain't that peculiar, but ain't that peculiar. Whereas this has almost the exact same verse, and then it goes into this rocking chorus where it goes bum bum bum, ain't that peculiar, bum bum. And it was uh, they totally redid the uh, chorus, and it really it really shook me when I heard it. But when I think about it, there's not much, like I liked it a lot, but also I thought maybe there was a little bit more pumps and circumstance about that than actual substance. You know what I mean? Maybe it was just the changing of that to, to kind of jolt you then that there actually was actual substance to it. So I agree. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you with uh, one of the few things. Sorry, he gave me the old Popeye look. It almost makes me laugh <laughs> with his just, bad eye. <laughs> I just got to keep uh, drying up the, uh, the the water tearing up. Uh, I think we totally agree on uh, an okay but not earth-shattering version of Hey Bulldog. Yeah, I think uh, that's about all I have. I like the, uh, the sound and production. Like... Um, uh, you're mentioning the drums were a bit low, and uh, also the bass was a bit low, but uh, I thought the uh, the sounds they were getting were really good. From what I could hear. Well, it, I'm going to be blunt. If you actually thought the, the sounds, instrumental sounds, if you yes. thought the sound of the drums were no, no, good. not the drums, not the drums, but <laughs> they, they, that shocks me. Not the balance, but the no, not the balance. You know, I I think what you're saying. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're saying what I did in a way is that I'm specifically hearing the drums and saying the drum sound, just what I said about 10 minutes ago was the drum sound is crappy, 
but it doesn't matter too much because it blends in with everything and the drums aren't the key instrument here. It's all the whole song that's a part, which is what which is what I said. Is that kind of what you're saying? Is that it doesn't matter that the drums sound crappy to me because it kind of blends in with the, with yeah, the song? Yeah, I mean, I thought it, uh, it fits in. Uh, I know what you I'm mean. I'm also thinking like more of the guitar notice, and the vocals. Unless you're being an a-hole like me and being or anal retentive like me and are always listening for the drum sound, you wouldn't know that the drums sound crappy because uh, they mixed in so well. No, I didn't uh, pay a whole lot of attention. I just knew they were mixed down a bit, but uh, oh, okay. drums aren't a first thing with me. Drums are kind of well, a, you an know afterthought. How, you know how important. I always say the most important <laughs> thing about any record is the drums. Get that together first. Yeah. I don't uh, whenever we mix, uh, that's always the thing to go for first. I, I do like, since you, since you brought it up, which is an important part to me about, um, oh, we're so long all the time. <laughs> and we, we even cut out segments. <laughs> we get carried away. I know. What, what's important to me is, it really is uh, an album cover. Because it, it, it establishes the sound of a record even before you hear it. And I thought that the kind of starkness uh, of the album cover was actually very good for this album. It didn't show it was a happy album. Didn't show it was a depressing album, but it showed it was a serious album. A by serious, serious album, women. yes. yes. Uh, it, it showed that this is not the. They're not trying to be a gimmick band. Exactly. They're trying to be themselves. And I like that. I like. I. I do. I do try and comment on a, an album cover for when we review an album that uh, helps the album, and I also like to comment on an album cover that actually hurts the album. And other than that, I don't. You don't. You don't, don't doesn't matter. But it is important to me because. It actually is, will make or break an album that people don't realize. It's a subconscious thing. And I think that this, if people bought this, because they wouldn't be disappointed psychologically because of the album cover. It was a perfect album cover for this album. What would you give? I think you're, you, you, you talked about all the songs you wanted to talk about. What would you give this album? I'm assuming you talked about all the songs. My person, yeah, yeah, I think I got all of them. That's all the, yeah, all the ones that I had anything important to say. And uh, I like this album. I was actually uh, looking forward to listening to it. I uh, gave it two listens today. I gave it a four. Out wow, of, uh, five. So we uh, we do we not have to agree on that one. In fact, in fact, I'll even tell you. I uh, I was considering two and a half for the first couple of listens, and it was only maybe the last I, listen that I pumped it up to three. Yes. So we really kind of disagreed on this one and my uh, the view of it did go up as i was listening to it so this is another one that grows on you yeah it does uh be, i think it's because personally i was expecting something a little bit harder something more runaways like because i heard that they were a hard rock group but that was more live uh as i found out that it was in the studio and uh so i found that the quality of the songs as i got to know them were much better it's just that the deficiencies of the singing and stuff like that uh just, just held it back totally for me. I'm sorry if they had a lead singer, and I know we disagree on this. We disagree on many things about this album, but I do feel that this band would have been much suited with the, with the lead singer, which they wanted to do. Mm. Um, but then again, you would make a good point about as we always say to ourselves: sometimes the singer sings the song the best way. You know, it may not be sound the best way, but it is the best way. Yeah. Wow, well, you're struggling. Sometimes. we got to end this show just because yeah. you're struggling so much. <laughs> I'm starting to cry here. Uh, next week, Rob will be much better with his eye, hopefully, or else he'll be dead. 
I'll come up with a new injury. <laughs> your eye actually, I'm going to comment to everybody in case something does happen to Rob. You don't, like your eye looks perfectly fine. It's just that it's inside. Okay, yeah. You know a, what I mean? Like a little baggy and a little red. It's a little baggy, but actually your eye does not look, oh yeah. It, it has a little bit of a, uh, it has redness. A, a redness and it has a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it? A black eye to it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, it I does not look like it's it's terrible. It was one of those injuries where you just kind of grab it and you go, ow, for a little while. You should go to the doctor <laughs> tomorrow just to have them check it out, just to make sure there's nothing bad. Yeah, unless I'm bleeding out. Yeah, ears. Rob's one of those people who doesn't go to the doctor unless he's lost a leg, and even then, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll make a wooden one. So you know what? I cut out a segment. We're still like an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, so that's all for our show today. Now, next week, we'll be concluding our look at all women rock bands of the 1970s with another album by chicks or babes or sexy temptresses, however you want to call them. Chickaroos. I just call them bands. <laughs> Rob calls them a bunch of lesbians. <laughs> Rob calls them a bunch of lesbians making fools of themselves. <laughs> uh, that's, I'm, I'm uh, dreaming. <laughs> so until next week, uh, Rob will be much better. We I will be much better, yes, and I will not be uh, going ow every now and then. Yeah, we have to practice next week, so you've got to be better next week. i got to be better next week. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so until then, uh, take care and stay safe. Rock! Pull the stick out of your ass.